Hey, Court TV podcast listeners. Courtrooms are still shut down across the country, but that doesn't mean you can't get your fix of the American justice system. We have hours of complete trials available in the Trials on Demand section of CourtTV.com, including the trial we speak about in this encore presentation of the podcast. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On this week's Court TV podcast, after a long holiday weekend, we'll bring you up to speed on the latest in the hammer-killing murder trial. Is the prosecution proving its case that Mark Seavers orchestrated the killing of his beloved wife, Dr. Teresa Seavers? Or can the defense offer up an alternate theory behind her death? And we have updates on two other cases that have captivated the nation, Convicted murderer Adnan Syed and alleged serial rapist Harvey Weinstein. This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinnie Politan and Seema Iyer. Welcome to the Court TV Podcast. I'm Seema Iyer here with my partner in crime, Vinnie Politan. Hey. How are you? Partner in crime? Look at us today. We look like criminals. Yeah, we do. We're, we're dressed in all black. First of all, we didn't plan these outfits. It's a outfits. slimming color for me. <laughs> that is not one of your concerns <laughs> in life. But it is weird that we came to work dressed in exactly black. Well, maybe that means something. But uh, I'm, I'm clearly not in the world of crime. Uh, never have been. I am anti-crime. Okay, enough, I'm a former prosecutor. Enough with the disclaimer. Okay. I understand. I get it. I don't it. want people to get the wrong idea. I they think I might think I walk around and, and go into courtrooms with pinky rings on and stuff. And... I actually spent most of my career, uh, I like to say, having the heartbeat job. I was a heartbeat away from being a criminal. Right. There's a fine line between a criminal defense attorney and a criminal sometimes, but not all the time. We need them, folks, uh, and we love them. They, they are the foundation of our system of justice. They keep us rolling. The Constitution, okay? yes. Is, is that enough? That's enough. <laughs> all right. All right, so let's get into the case that we're into on Court TV. And if you don't have Court TV, get it. Get a digital antenna, rescan it, and watch it. Yes. It is amazing. That's our day job. Uh, we're covering a trial now out of Florida, and it involves a man named Mark Seavers who's accused of orchestrating, love that word, orchestrating the murder of his own wife, Dr. Teresa Seavers. And what prosecutors say he did is enlist the help of his best friend in the world, his best buddy, Curtis Wright, <laughs> who's also his doppelganger, who then enlisted the help of his friend, Jimmy the Hammer Rogers, and the two of them uh, bludgeoned to death uh, Dr. Sievers while Mark Sievers was out of Florida in another state far away from the scene of the crime. And Rogers now, has been convicted. Right. And Wright, Curtis Wright, took a deal and is the key witness against Mark Sievers, his, his former best buddy. And now Sievers is on trial with yet another doppelganger, his lawyer. Right. So initially, Mark Seavers looked <laughs> Everybody like, looks alike. looked like the man, his best friend, because they they were bald. They had goatees, sort of the same physique. They mm -hmm. would wear the same type of glasses. And then at trial, all of a sudden, Mark Seavers loses a little bit of weight, shaves the goatee, and now looks like his lawyer. It, it, it's <laughs> great. He's like, you know what he is? He's a, a chameleon. I think he adapts wherever he well, wherever he is. Well, he's trying because if you watch him in court, he's really trying to adapt to, let's say, the emotional testimony and the gruesome testimony. So his face makes these weird convulsions and contortions, and he's trying. He's trying so hard to get the tears out. He's trying so hard, and it's not coming. You know, I should teach him this trick. 
Okay, it's a trick. On well, how to you cry? Do, on how to cry. You take Vaseline, and I know this, you know, I also am an Indian dancer, you know this. And so what some of the teachers used to do is you put the Vaseline in your bosom, that's your between your boobs, okay. and you put in the bra, and then you hold your hands over your eyes, and you just squeeze, and the water comes out, and it goes to your eyes, and it makes you cry. Uh, from the Vaseline. So you put from the, the, not Vaseline, Visine. Sorry, did I say Vaseline? Visine. Said Vaseline. Whoa, oh, sorry. Slow down. <laughs> Visine. Crazy Indian but that's dances. How, and that's how we crazy Indian dances. And that's these are Indian dances like from India, not Native American dances. <laughs> we just want to. Don't get into that. I just want to make sure people that's don't correct. think that you're being politically incorrect. No, no, no. No, I'm not being. No. For once okay. of my, in my life, She's I'm not being, being accurate. Right. <laughs> So Seavers, I, th I think the key word you said in describing this defendant, which is what has made him stand out to me, was the word weird. There's sure. a weirdness factor to all of his mannerisms, the way he acts, the way he looks, everything. Even when he was shackled and, and, and walking uh, yeah. you know, months ago when he, or years ago when he first got arrested, everything he does is a little weird. <laughs> and it's now coming out in the trial through testimony. And, and okay. let me tell you through who. Yes. So Jimmy the Hammer Rogers, who's been convicted of the murder, second-degree murder, at a prior trial, his ex-girlfriend testified, Taylor Showmaker, and um, she testified about some of her observations. And the observations took place on the night before Curtis Wright's wedding, which, according to prosecutors, is the night that Mark Seavers solicits his friend Curtis Wright to commit the murder, which is the night before Curtis Wright is marrying his bride, Angie. Mm-hmm. So take a listen as, as she describes what's going on the night before the wedding. Did you see whether or not there came a time when Mr. Wright and Mr. Wright and uh, Mr. Seavers kind of went uh, aside and had a conversation outside of everybody else? Yes, I did. Can you tell the ladies and gentlemen of the jury about that? Um. It was the night before the wedding. They had went off into Angie and Wayne's bedroom and had a private conversation. Was there anyone else in there with them? No. Okay. Now, this is where prosecutors are going with this, is that they went into the bedroom alone the night before Curtis's wedding to have a conversation. And the conversation, of course, prosecutors are going to say, is all about a solicitation for murder. Right. Correct. Could there be another interpretation of this behavior? Absolutely. He's having cold feet. Uh, he needs to talk to his best friend. He's getting married. He needs a hug. He, he needs a hug, a warm embrace, saying, hey, man, it's okay. Just do a shot of tequila and just go get married, or everything's going to be okay. You'll be a good provider. Uh, don't worry. She's the girl for you. I don't know. What do you people tell each other before you're getting married? No, no, I think I think it's a, it, it could be a completely different direction, and and this is because of some cross examination that was shut down uh, by the judge through an objection by the prosecution, where the defense was going after Curtis Wright and his sexuality. Okay, you and I have different interpretations. Okay. Uh, okay, I think that the defense attorney was trying to lay the foundation to establish the sexual relationship between all of. The parties, meaning the Seavers as a couple and the Wrights as a couple. You think it was more one-on-one? -on -one. It was. It was more about whether or not you know he, you know, may entertain the thought of 
of being with a man and a, and a specific man, Mark Seavers. Do you think that's why they went in the bedroom? Well, I don't know. I think the defense could make some arguments that they were not soliciting murder. They were making love. Maybe. Uh, you're like, like, oh, his, look at like me. His, like, it was like Curtis, Curtis Wright's bachelor party. And and it's a strange defense for the defense to put out there. But, I mean, could it be that we didn't No, There was no solicitation of murder that night. It was a night of passion. I don't know. Whoa. Okay, so just well here here let me let me just do this, okay? No, the reason I'm vomiting is because I think like if you're gonna go for somebody, don't go for someone who looks exactly like you. That's weird. It's like a twin brother. Hey, would you would you call that perverted, perhaps? I may. Okay, take a listen to more testimony. <laughs> and the reason I'm tying all this together for you right now is Taylor Showmaker also uh, testified about what she thought about Mark Seavers, and and it came out through cross examination, which was kind of weird. But listen to this. So you said that you saw Mr. Wright and Mr. Seavers uh, go off together. Is that correct? Yes. Were you inside or outside? I was inside. Okay. Um, and was there anything about Mr. Seavers that, that, that was special to you or, or made you look his way? I mean, perverty, but... What's that? Um... Kind of a pervert. But I didn't really look as lady because of it. Perverty. I love it. It's a new word. Um, Wait, can we just just pause for a second? She says perverty. Okay, this is like for a defense attorney. Just shoot me in the head. Shoot me in the head and kill me dead. I don't want to live any longer because this moment defines my entire reputation as a criminal defense attorney. But then, okay, then he says. I'm sorry. What was that? Could you repeat? I'm sorry. I'm so wait, wait. In case the I'm folks sorry. in the back row, the yeah, jury box. Did you mixed not hear it? that? Could you? I'm sorry. Could you? I I didn't hear you. And now I want you to say it again, and this time louder and clearer. Thank you very much, All pervert. Right. <laughs> right. But here's uh, maybe this is some sort of perverted um, uh, way that the defense can use this. Okay. That, okay, Seavers is perverted, and they went into the bedroom, and it has nothing to do with murder. It has to do with sexual perversion and all the things that they were into, looking like each other and, and being together, and they're, they're doing all these things that have nothing to do with murder. Mark not... Seavers just was not a murderer. Okay. I'm trying, no, no, no. To, I'm trying to put perfume no. on it. I understand, but this is the defense you need. You need the defense to be right having some motive to kill Dr. Teresa. That is what I need as a defense attorney, okay? Curtis Wright and to needs get it. There, yes, to get there, I have to establish that Curtis Wright either had some obsession, crush with Dr. Teresa, or he had a relationship with Dr. Teresa. Or with Mark, and Dr. Right. Teresa was in the way. Oh, She was trying oh, to put, oh, put oh, the okay. kiboshes okay. on their... Okay. On their um, uh, bromance. Bromance. That was the word I was looking for. Bromance. No, you. No, I know what word you're looking yeah. for. Well, it, it could be, and I, I don't know. I don't know if it would work. I don't know if it's the truth. I'm just trying to put the pieces together that are coming out through this trial, and I, and I can't do it because I'm not following where the defense is going, what their theory is, and I think it's a big problem, and a lot of it has to do with Mark Seavers being a little bit weird. 
Do you agree? <laughs> yes, yes. I think that the the vest knife. That's why the, the the listeners have to tune in every night to closing arguments to see your impression of Mark Sievers on trial. I have done it. Because you said he's so busy. He's, he's too busy. He, he's too busy to to be sitting here on on trial for his life. This is a death penalty case, but by the way, folks. This is one of my favorite things you've ever done, and that is so. Vinny is on the anchor desk, which is a huge desk, folks. It's a, we have so much space. <laughs> Vinny throws all his papers all over the place and pretends to be writing things down and does his impression of Mark Sievers being too busy to be at his own trial. Right. And to me, that's what it looked like. <laughs> and I think that's a huge problem for him. Okay. However, I, I need to remind everyone, it is the most wonderful time of the year right now. It, I love this time of the year. Yeah. It's so wonderful. But the, the question is, <laughs> is this better for someone who's accused of murder, who is facing a potential death penalty, or is it better for the prosecution representing the victim in the case? We'll talk about that next. I remember when I was a prosecutor back in the olden days, working in the courthouse, <laughs> and, and this time of year... It was just a different vibe in the courthouse. Much, much different vibe because it's the holidays. Everybody's kind of in the spirit. Everyone's kind of got like one eye looking outside sure. of the courthouse because you, you, your mind is somewhere else. Absolutely. And it's just I loved this time of year in the courthouse because, uh, like you said, everyone's in a better mood. Judges aren't on your tush to try cases because they don't want to put out jurors. But there are the times when you do have a trial during the holidays. And for a defense attorney, it is fa-la-la-la-la-la-la. Yeah. Uh, as a prosecutor, I, I got I had a trial my, my first year in the trial section. Okay. And I had one. It was probably the second week of December. And it was a short trial, so it wasn't going to bump into the holidays or anything. And and all the senior prosecutors are just shaking their heads, looking at me, saying, <laughs> it's not going to end well for you. Oh, it, no. It's it just, and and it was one of those, it wasn't the strongest case in, in uh, uh, you know, that I ever handled. Uh, there were some issues with it. And and the jury, at the end of the day, um, has uttered those two ugly words, <laughs> not guilty. Well, they did. I, and, and, I think, and I think it was part of the holiday spirit. Sure. And as a defense attorney, you have to play up on that. I am not kidding you, Vinny. I would wear red and green. I'd wear like winter white. I would inject the word Christmas like subliminal, like, oh, uh, this is my client, John Doe. Uh, Merry Christmas. And, yeah. and then I would just, and, uh, you know, he's being accused of robbery. Happy Hanukkah. And, uh, yeah, you just, you, whatever it takes, you have to play up on their sympathy. You have maybe like the defendant's kids all dressed up in their cute little Christmas outfits in the front row so the jury can see them during the trial. Whatever it takes. You yeah, have and to play up real. on that. This is a real, and it's a, and right now here on Court TV, we're the Seifers case. And this is a death penalty case that is like butting up against the holidays. They worked, you know, before Thanksgiving and continued after Thanksgiving, and 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 they're working. And um, I, I think it's a, a potential problem for prosecutors, but... Um, what do you think? Because we're not okay. We're, we're in the Thanksgiving time of the year, but not sure. exactly like right at Christmas. Well, break. here's what I I thought that was great for, and I want to say great for both sides because the days leading up to Thanksgiving, people are so stressed. People who cook, those are people who aren't me. So people <laughs> who cook who aren't me, those people, uh, those people they 
listen, they have legitimate concerns, right? Because you have to get to the store a certain time. You have to buy uh, turkeys at a certain time. So they thaw and the potatoes and all these peeling situations, all of these tasks need to be accomplished. The judge, Judge Kyle, was very cognizant of that. He let people go early on the Tuesday and Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So it, he he brought them also back in a better spirit. The concern, I think, here for prosecutors, w- the closer we get to Christmas, because the, the penalty phase, so if Seavers is convicted, right. and then we go into the death penalty phase, how li- how hard is it to sentence someone to death, you know, as a juror, like agree to death, and then couple that with... Uh, oh, I got to get the- some more stocking stuffers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't think... The- I-, I honestly think it is a real thing. I-, I think it'll be a real problem if they get the conviction and go to the penalty phase. I think they have no chance. Because think about Zero. This, like everything you we hear about the holidays, like all the movies, everything, it's about forgiveness. It's about loving your neighbor it is about charity it is about giving so <laughs> and these are and these are ordinary you folks to do that. because i found around this time of year judges because we would go ahead and do sentencings and violations of, of of probation and all these hearings we wouldn't necessarily do trials the week of right, christmas right, 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 but right, we did right. these other types of hearings where people would be sentenced and inevitably even the judges who were had the um you know, had the reputation of being really harsh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would be soft this time of year. Violation of probation. Ah, let's give them one more chance. You know? Oh, that's oh, a good point. You know, so. Oh, it, you know what? A lot of times, too, with sentencing. So that's a really good point you're, you just reminded me of. So a lot of judges I know where they would allow the defendant to remain at liberty, to stay out until after Christmas. So after Christmas, like in January, judge, they come back. Judge, it's the holidays. Can we keep them out? We'll come back in January. Maybe they come back. Maybe they don't. Sometimes I wouldn't come back. Yeah. If but, I if the judge was like, "Oh yeah, Sima, just come back on January 6th. I'm like, "Sure thing. No problem, judge." But I'd be so I'd call I'd go straight to the airport, jump on a flight via Air India, and you would never see me again. Yeah, and it's difficult being a prosecutor making those arguments uh, about having someone Would you come up? chase me down in Mumbai and yeah, bring yeah, me back yeah, to exactly. court? Exactly. <laughs> there is no Christmas in Mumbai. Yes, there is. I know. There is. I know there is. <laughs> But I, I believe this is a, a true problem for prosecutors if we get to the penalty phase, but it's just part of what happens every year, this time of year, in courtrooms across America. Okay, well, we're still going to be debating the holidays throughout the season, but coming up next, I want to talk about the podcast that started all podcasts, the serial podcast, and the subject of that podcast, Adnan Syed. What is happening with his case now? We'll talk about that next. Vinny, we have gotten so lucky to get this Core TV podcast, and I think it's all because of the podcast that really started the craze, and that was the Serial Podcast. 
Absolutely. Um, I, I remember where I was when I first hear about, heard about it, and I was, well, cereal. I said, I, I really don't eat cereal. That's what I thought, too. <laughs> I'm not that into it. Vinny does not these, like his carbs, folks. Why are these does not like so his carbs. into it? Like, and then I found out what it really was, and I was like, oh, that's right in my, uh, right in my alley. So, uh, And I understand it, and, and it's because these stories are unbelievable, and sometimes people don't believe what happens uh, in the course of investigations and prosecutions and appeals and everything else. Uh, but it did kind of pave the way force it paved the way for this podcast and it certainly paved the way i think for the relaunch of court tv because this podcast was it got everyone obsessed with true crime it got the masses interested in the nitty gritty of the law which i think in the original court tv wasn't there as much as the way we're doing it now I think the audience, uh, like folks listening right yes. now, much more sophisticated, much Absolutely. more educated, and they understand it, and it allows us to go even deeper into the weeds, so, which I love. Yeah, that's okay. Let's let's tell everyone, so we have some updates on the subject of the Serial Podcast. His name is Adnan Syed, and he was convicted of killing his ex-girlfriend, Hay Min Lee, back in 1999. They were in high school. And fast forward to uh, sometime, the podcast came out in 2014, but before that, his family friend, who's also an attorney, Rabia Chowdhury, Rabia went to a reporter that she knew followed courts and crime, and that was Sarah Koenig. And Sarah Koenig, she was then part of the NPR family, This American Life, what have you. So Rabia just wanted some reporter to get interested in this case because of Adnan has always maintained his innocence, always maintained his innocence. So she got Sarah Koenig involved, and uh, Sarah and her team investigated it. And through that investigation, we, we, we were witness to that investigation because it was all played out in the Serial Podcast. And then from the, the Serial Podcast just became this massive worldwide obsession. Right. And it, it, it had some impact on the actual case, too. It did have some impact on the actual case. So, for instance, uh, there were a lot of lawyers that just that really kind of devoted their time. So Rabia Chowdhury, again, family, friend, she was always a part of it. But then she got to other very well-known lawyers, really brilliant lawyers, Susan Simpson. She's a lawyer based in D.C., and Colin Miller, he is a professor. He's based in South Carolina. And just so everyone knows, they are a part of this podcast that kind of took over where Sarah Koenig left off, and that's undisclosed. So the bottom line is he's trying to get a new trial. In February of 2016, there was a post-conviction hearing held to determine whether he was going to get a new trial. And What was the basis? What, what was, what was the, the, the main focus and and reason they say this man deserved a new trial alibi and her name is asia mcclain and i saw her i was just a few feet away from her every single day she testified during that hearing and i found her to be credible and uh where was she during the during the initial trial (sighs) here's she was right there and and she actually was sending letters to his defense attorney saying, hey, he was with me in the library, and the defense attorney just didn't pursue it. Didn't pursue it. Did, no. Did, 
Didn't the client, Adnan, tell his attorney, listen, I didn't do it. I was with this uh, the woman. The whole time. The whole time he has maintained his innocence. But, but the did he tell thing- his lawyer about the alibi uh, witness? Yes. If, if you're with yes, someone, yeah. then that, wouldn't that be like the first thing yes, you would yes, do? Yes, yes. Okay, so here's the interesting thing. It, he did. He has always maintained his innocence. He did. But I think because of his age, he was a high school student. I think because of his his family, they're from Pakistan, they're not from here. I think there was a lot of issues where he was not as outspoken to his lawyer at the time. And I and he's, what is he like 17 years old? At the yeah, time? yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so he's a like, young kid. Yeah, I understand. He's, he's young a kids young aren't kid. the smartest. So they go to this hearing, and this is in February 2016. And this was strange because he didn't. The judge said, okay, you can have a new trial, but it really wasn't based on the alibi. It was based on uh, this entirely different claim that uh, his trial attorney was ineffective because because, uh, she did not cross-examine the state's cell tower expert. Okay. Okay. Now, I, well, you know who will explain this better? This is Colin Miller. So I interviewed him for Core TV. Let's take a listen. Yeah. And so, factually speaking, we have these two phone calls at 7 09 and 7 16 p.m. on the day that Heyman Lee was murdered. And they ping a tower that covers Lincoln Park in Baltimore, Maryland. And that's eventually where Heyman Lee's body is found months later. And the issue is there's this AT&T disclaimer that comes along with the cell tower records in this case that says incoming calls are not reliable for determining location status. Uh, Essentially, there were many issues back at that point in time with incoming pings. Sometimes they would ping the phone of the caller as opposed to the person who received the call, but for a variety of reasons, they're unreliable. And so Christina Gutierrez didn't use that disclaimer to cross-examine the state cell tower expert at trial. Okay, so that's the essence of what... So his phone is pinging at the scene where the body is found. That's the state's evidence. That's what the state claimed. But there was this AT&T fax cover sheet, which I even have a copy of, and it's basically saying that they're not reliable for determining location. Incoming calls are not reliable. That's not what reliable. So, so this would be a bad coincidence, is what you're saying. What's a bad coincidence? That the the unreliable information just happens to pinpoint his phone at the scene where the victim's body's found. Well, that's that. Well, that's what the prosecution's theory is. But here's the other problem. It sounds like the defense theory that it's a coincidence. But. but the, the defense attorney did not cross-examine the expert right. on that fax cover sheet, which she had. Okay, so number one. Number two is there's also some discrepancy between whether his phone was with his friend. Okay, so and, his friend, and, that would make his friend a suspect then. His friend and testified against him, and that okay. was Jay. Right, okay. so, so the— but what was strange about this hearing was the alibi witness testified, and the judge didn't rule— based on the alibi witness, because of the phone pinging. Because the the judge was basically saying that the alibi witness didn't fit into the prosecution's timeline. Okay. I mean, it's a, listen, it's a lot. So it's, it's an confusing. alibi for a different time. Right, right, Not right. the time of the alleged murder that prosecutors say. Okay, right, so th- exactly. So, so that makes sense, but he, he, but he, but he won. He won at that level, but in the, in the higher court, he did not win. Okay. He lost. He lost. So then 
there the team decides to go to the United States Supreme Court and the United States Supreme Court said, we're not listening to this. We're not hearing it. So they didn't so they didn't decide on the merits. They so just didn't no, take up the case because the Supreme the Court doesn't take up every case, even if it's like the biggest podcast ever. Exactly. Exactly. So now this is where we are today. So today, the Court of Appeals of Maryland is saying that we can listen to this case based upon the post-conviction hearing that your post-conviction lawyer did not bring up the cell phone evidence as an issue. So it's not over. It's not over. It is not over. Okay, so, and this is where it gets, and this is also, it bothers me a lot because the lawyer at the post-conviction hearing, Justin Brown, was fantastic. His partner was fantastic. I mean, they were amazing. This hearing lasted, I think it was four or five days, and it was probably better than most trials I've watched. I mean, just witnesses, it was it was incredible. But, okay, so this is where we are now. Adnan Syed, it's not over. He can go back to the state court because the Court of Appeals of Maryland found if, if he has to say that he waived his cell tower claim based upon his post-conviction counsel. So in, in essence, he has to say the post-conviction attorney was ineffective because they didn't bring up the cell phone claim. They were only going with the alibi. Wow. Because the judge in that hearing ruled on the how? Ruled on the alibi, but but said, oh, you should have kind of gone with the cell phone. Okay, can I just take a step back? Yeah. I mean, how many times can you claim ineffective assistance at counsel? Like, every lawyer this guy gets is 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 bad and is wrong and doesn't get it. I don't get I mean, well, to this me, that, is what the, that becomes a problem. I mean, and this is what the judge says, and this is what Adnan would have to say. If my post-conviction counsel included the cell tower claim in my first post-conviction petition, I would have been awarded a new trial. And... He would have been awarded a new trial because the judge in that case, Judge Welch, said he would. But it's too late now. No, now they can go back to state court so with the cell go- phone claim. Wow. Okay, so here's one other thing. It sounds uh, like they've so got confusing. another whole podcast okay. coming out. Yeah, soon, exactly. Right? So this is the other thing. Okay, there's another way he can do this, and that's file a petition for writ of habeas corpus in federal district court. But this is really difficult because to get this, he would have to prove, not just claim, prove actual innocence. Right. Yeah. The habeas corpus. My father was a federal judge. There were just piles and piles and piles of them and they would go through them. The the law clerks would ferret through all of them. And it's an absolutely difficult, difficult burden uh, that you have. I think they're better off going to state court. Absolutely. I I I think so, especially because the judge already ruled on the. uh, Yeah. Okay. so I just want and, and, you know, I was saying to you. before that Adnan's always maintained his innocence. We also spoke to Rabia Chowdhury, and this is Rabia talking about uh, what has happened since that hearing in 2016 and how Adnan has maintained his innocence. He has only ever maintained his innocence. He was offered a plea deal last year by the attorney general, and he turned it down. He said, I cannot stand up in front of a court of law and take responsibility for something I didn't do. The state at this point, I guess, is is feeling like there's a chance we could lose. So they're now offering him some sort of a plea. He's not going to take. Well, this was before. So the, the, the state offered him some sort of plea at some point, And he said, no, this is something I cannot do. And this was a guilty plea. He'd have to admit that he actually yeah, did it. Yes. Well, how about the old Alfred plea okay. where, you, where you take a deal, but you don't actually have to say you did it? Because I've seen that before. You know, the other podcast, The Staircase. 
Yes. Michael Peterson. Oh, Ended right, up with okay, the Alfred okay. plea. Okay, well, Robbie and I, we've been talking about the Alfred plea for years now. Let's uh, take a listen to what Robbie has said about an Alfred plea. Yeah, an Alfred plea wouldn't require him to stand in front of a court of law and say, I committed this horrific crime. You know, one thing Adnan said to me, he said, you know, Rabia, it's not that I would be admitting to just killing somebody. He's like, I would be admitting that I committed this in the most horrific way. I planned it. I stalked her. I hid her body. I did all these, like, you know, for him, the crime is so heinous. Um, and so it was not worth his freedom. He, But if it was an Alfred plea, I would advise him to take it. You always have to take the Alfred plea because you're not admitting to anything. You're just getting out of prison. Putting I, it behind I you. know, but you still have a conviction. Yeah, but you're putting it behind you. You're putting it behind you. Anyone I that know, does take I an just, Alfred I, plea. I just, I hate the idea. I, listen, I agree. You know, I, I've, I've met Adnan's mom This is and what you do. You take, you take the Alfred plea and then you make a documentary and you go out on the circuit and you plead your case to the court of public opinion about your innocence even though you took the Alfred plea. That's, or you, that's what or you, you can do. come on court TV and do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's fascinating. So this case is not over. Yes. And I just I, I, I really hope I have to put it out there because I really hope I got all of the, the facts and the circumstances correctly. Uh, I'm sorry. It's just it's it's overwhelming and confusing to me. And it's been now, you know, I've been I've been following this case for so many years. It's just all I, I, like when I think back to the hearing, I think about Asia McLean. I think about the facts cover sheet of that AT&T disclaimer. And it's all just it's it's a lot, but the bottom line is for people who are following this case, it's not over yet. It's not over, but it's not about the alibi. It's about the cell phone towers. Exactly. Thank you for saying Bingo. that. Yeah, you you always you always bottom line things for me. I appreciate that. Okay, so another big case that we are following, and this is this is our core TV obsession, and that's the Harvey Weinstein trial. We have some updates. We'll talk about that next. We have some updates on the Harvey Weinstein trial still slated to begin January 6th, 2020. Is that I reached out to the lawyers yesterday and they said there is no reason to think otherwise. Okay. I'm pretty confident. It's been put off so many different times. And, you know, the beginning of January is a great time to try a big case. It's after the holidays and all. It's actually the first day back, I yeah. think. That yeah. Is, yeah, January 6th will you be the first day back. Fresh jurors. They're all rested. Everyone, you know, is is not distracted and you're ready to go. I, I hope so for Harvey Weinstein's sake. Okay, so some uh, big news this week, and that is there were some outstanding motions filed by the defense. The prosecution replied to them. Uh, you can check out CourtTV.com for my Weinstein articles and updates. And the judge, Burke, Justice Burke, just filed his decision on these motions. So I want to give you, Vincent, and the listeners some updates. So the defense tried to get the predatory sexual assault charges dismissed. And you are going to love this. This and is the one that oh, wait. is, is yeah. life in prison, right? Correct. Okay. The okay, you're, you're going to love. Okay, they tried. And I want to test your knowledge from law school. They tried to get this dismissed because it violates... Are you ready? Mm -hmm. The ex post facto clause of the Constitution. Oh, yeah. Do, the old stop. Yeah, the old uh, ex post facto clause of the Constitution. See, do you, very, yeah, do I, you, I relied upon that many times as a uh, 
as an attorney when I worked at the uh, firm of uh, Corella Byrne, Bain, Gill, Filling, <laughs> Checky, Stewart, and Olstein. And uh, we would uh, rip that out whenever we uh, needed uh, the heavy okay, hitters. Okay, so I've, all right, so here's the, bo- the bottom line is, and this is the Annabelle Sior. So right. basically, very simple. They're saying uh, you can't charge him or have any charges connected to an incident that allegedly occurred in 1993-1994 because this statute was enacted in 2006. Right, so the statute came out after the incident, so you can't ex post facto Yeah, and there's like a million cases that support that, no. So that was denied. But I have to say, funny story, so I had a client once, and, you know, I've done, um, when they do represent themselves, so I was standby counsel. Oh, so you were backing up the uh, person who was yes, representing pro se. Yeah, he was like a really sad guy. He was homeless, right. whatever. But he was like ex post facto. Like, it's our defense. <laughs> he was like, we're going to crack this case wide open with ex post facto. So I was like, what about self-defense? What about, I don't know, insanity? What about diminished capacity? He was like, no, Seema, listen, I got it. I got it. It's ex post facto. All right. Needless to say, the listeners can figure out how that case went for me. So, okay. So moving on, that was a, that was a, listen, that was a motion we expected. Right. Okay. Defense loses one. I'm keeping score. Okay. Well, <laughs> you're only going to have one side of that paper filled, my friend. Okay. So the next uh, big update is that the defense was saying that uh, the, any counts related to the Annabella Sciorra accusation from 1993-1994 should be dismissed because it didn't provide the defense with fair notice. And listen, we we talked about this. Uh, the, The prosecutors went through extraordinary efforts to pin down a date in that winter time period that Annabella Sciorra claims that Harvey Weinstein raped her. They couldn't. And the and the judge said, uh, no, you can question, you can ask all this. This is for testimony. And, of course, we have number two, denial. Denial. So it's 2 nothing prosecution. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. So another big – oh, this is, this is, this is going to be great. Okay. So the defense said that motion to suppress from a search warrant with respect to three email accounts should uh, be – uh, those should be suppressed. So we shouldn't hear those emails. Right. So there were two emails from w- his work email, and one was his Gmail. Okay. So the work email, they said no standing. You have no standing for that. So that's that. And uh, the personal email, which the judge actually cited all three email accounts to be under this argument that it was not overly broad and lacked probable cause, that, in fact, the warrant did have probable cause. So, so the emails are coming in? All of them, all okay. three. Okay, and I thought the defense was saying all these emails were going to help them. I guess not. There must be some I that don't, know. don't I, help well, them. Yeah, exactly. So this is interesting. No, you're, you're absolutely right, because that is what the impression I got was that there were emails to help the defense, at least with respect to one Accuser. So, um, what's your? How are you keeping score now? Is so it, it's three nothing uh, prosecution. Okay, thank you, sir. Okay, next motion, and this is also another big one. The defendant, uh, the defense team, rather, they requested the personnel file of Detective DeGaudio, mm-hmm. and uh, this is the detective in you know full transparency. I represented him as a witness. Nothing, no wrongdoing allegation, but. Prior to coming to Court TV, I represented him uh, when I worked for the NYPD. So totally coincidental. Anyway, so he was, it came out that he coached 
one of the original complaining witnesses, Lucia Evans. Okay. And the prosecution conceded, and that was dismissed. So Lucia Evans is no longer a complaining witness That's fair. for this trial. Right. That's what should happen. So, but they want DeGaudio's personnel files with respect to some of the allegations in this case. And uh, they also asked, this is really interesting, they wanted to do what's called a Frank's hearing um, to basically establish that he perjured himself in a warrant. Um, and what do you think the judge said? I, I think the judge should take a look at those files in camera which means the judge takes a look at it to see if there's anything relevant without giving it to the defense and makes the call. I love that you said that because I think that's such an option that we don't really talk about a lot. And I'm glad that you did. Yeah, I, I'm so glad that you brought that up. OK, well, he's not going to do that. No. And so what, 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 what do you think the score is now? I think it's going to be four nothing. Prosecution. Okay. Denied. All right. So uh, that's not happening now. Magic number is one now. OK, so um, just a few more. This And this is all like really, really big, big important stuff for this trial. It's getting us ready. It's getting you guys ready. Uh, and of course, Court TV, we will have it uh, around the clock. Weinstein all the gavel time. Gavel to gavel. Gavel to gavel. Okay. So uh, we talked about this before, and that is the prosecution gave notice that they are calling a forensic psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Barbara Ziv, who has decades of experience, to talk about rape trauma syndrome. Now, the defense was given notice of this doctor testifying for the prosecution in April. This was April 26th, 2019, when they had this closed-door hearing about other accuser witnesses that would testify. Plenty of notice. They've had plenty of notice. Uh, th uh, the defense has asked to preclude or limit her testimony, and uh, the judge said, listen, this type of expert testimony has been around for now more than 30 years. I thought it's only been around for 15. It's been around for 30 years. It's acceptable in the community. So, uh, yeah, it's coming in. Plus, the defense asked, you're going to love this, the defense asked for the court to impose a sequence for the testimony. They want it, like, choreographed. Yeah, that's not happening. What do you think? No, it goes to the prosecution. They call a witness when they want. What's the score? Five nothing. Okay. It's a shutout. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, I think I have... One more. Oh, and this is a doozy. You're going to love this because you're going to you remember this. We, we talked about this um, on your show. So remember that the defense wants to call a Dr. Deborah Davis, a social psychologist, to talk about these really interesting things like memory, suggestibility, right. as well as misinterpretation of sexual consent communication and a phenomenon. This is a phenomenon. It's known as voluntary unwanted sex. Yeah, that's sounds, okay. sounds like an oxymoron. Okay, so this is the last uh this is the last big ticket item of the judge's ruling. The judge has now okay, so what the the defense was saying, okay, she should be allowed to testify. That's it. Bottom right. line. Prosecution was like, no, she shouldn't be allowed to testify. Plus, if you're going to think about it, we want a hearing. So we want a hearing to determine the scientific reliability in right. the if legal it's community. Accepted. 
amongst uh, that community of uh, social scientists. Okay, so the judge went a different route. He's saying, yes, she can testify on basically memory, all about memory and how memory works, including post-event suggestion, suggestion, uh, suggestibility. You get the drift, right? However, the judge said he will not allow this social psychologist, Dr. Deborah Davis, to testify about issues of memory specifically for sexual or potentially sexual interactions, including sexual consent communications, uh, voluntary unwanted sex, that's out. Responses to sexual assault, that's out. Uh, including such topics as failure to report, that's out. Delayed reporting, continuing contact with the alleged perpetrator, that's bad. For the defense. So the, you get the drift. So the judge, no hearing, but half in, half out. I think it's like three quarters out for the for the defense. Okay. I, I'm, I'm giving that one to the prosecution as well. So what's our final score, Six sir? Nothing. Six nothing. Six nothing. And that's what we have going into the Harvey Weinstein. But still trial. not an easy case for prosecutors. Trust me, not an easy case for prosecutors at all. But of course, we'll be covering it here on Court TV, like we cover everything. We're on television. You can go to CourtTV.com as well. And don't forget, rescan your digital antennas so you can rescan. watch it all the time. Rescan with the remix. Yeah, speaking of time, I think we're out of time. We are so out of time today. Thank you, Vincent. All right. We'll See you. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to courttv.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.